Good day, fans. Today we have on a guy who came referred to us. He is actually from our hometown, but he's much younger than we are. I didn't know of him until um, he was referred to us, and I'm sure glad that we did an episode with him. He's a cool dude, very grounded, very humble. He moved from Florida up to the Midwest and is doing big things. He's harvesting some great animals. He's even been on the Sportsman's Channel. Heck, he even saved a kid from drowning. We'll get into that later. But in true transparency of our show, we tell you everything just the way it happens. We're still new to this. The first time that we tried to record with Mr. DJ, somehow, some way, it didn't get recorded. So we did a full hour and a half, and then nothing was left. And it was almost as bad as missing a big buck. It demolished my mindset. Thankfully, he was nice enough to come back on and reshoot with us. And I was really worried about losing the genuine nature of a conversation, doing it a second time. I've been on TV. I hate the way things are produced. So I didn't want to have that feel. But luckily, we talked just like old friends. And I think you can feel the connection there when we talked. Ricky wasn't available for this, this actual episode. So it was just me and DJ. I think it went well. He's going places. He's going to be a household name. He's doing it right. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. DJ Jones. I'm Justin Bullard. And I'm Ricky Bullard. And we are definitely from the woods. Mr. DJ Jones, how are you today, sir? Uh, just got done throwing some reps at the gym, getting ready to drop my truck off at the shop. Um, got a scouting trip in North Dakota tomorrow. Got to get some break work done. Got to pay some bills and head into work. Get down close to midnight. Get home maybe 15, 30 minutes past midnight. I'll get up and make that trek into North Dakota and uh, going to do some scouting. You know, they say a busy life's a good life, man. At least you got something going. You're, you're, you're doing yeah. well in life, actually. And we're going to get into that. Uh, give us an introduction, who you are, where you're from. Yep. So some of you folks may know me by the name of DJ Jones. And a lot of you folks may know me by the name of D Jones Outdoors on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. And uh, born in Jacksonville, Florida, raised Hilliard, Florida and Callahan, Florida. Um, Grew up in Northeast Florida, uh, hunting just about anything you can, fishing for just about anything you can. And uh, now I live up in Minnesota, been up here since uh, 2012. So this is actually officially a decade as of now. And uh, I just love to hunt fish and share my experiences and, and opportunities, you know, with my followers on Instagram, YouTube and, and Facebook. And uh, that's that's what I've been doing these past couple of years. You definitely have a huge following on 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 social media and that's great we all love that you're doing the right thing apparently before we get into anything else i have found out that you saved a kid while fishing or something that was you the yeah. viral video yeah i had no idea that was you that's cool man T tell everybody what happened well honestly still still to this day like it's only been a little over a month of some change i, I still i still have a lot of questions about that day um just a regular day. I, I, I thought it was going to be. I threw the kayak in the back of the Chevy, drove down to uh, Duluth, the Boy Scout landing, the YMC Boy Scout landing there uh, on the St. Louis River. I pull up to the lot. You know, I do my usual stuff. Like I get my GoPros and my cameras running to make sure everything's running properly, SD cards and all that fun stuff. And uh, 
get my kayak, you know, set up. And I'm looking up and there's a kid swimming next to a boat. He's screaming, he's laughing, you know, he's having a good time swimming next to the boat and dad on top. And there's a two separate families, one sitting on the dock and another one sitting about 15 to 30 yards, you know, east of the dock. And I get out there, weather starts going from bad to worse. It was like 55 degrees, winds picked up from like maybe eight or nine degrees to almost like 15 mile an hour plus. And, uh, I just remember fishing. I get a bite. I set the hook, and I, I felt like what I hooked into was uh, was a sturgeon. So um, it's literally a dinosaur. It's a very, very, very prehistoric fish and stuff like that. So a lot of people search out for these for these fish because they're honestly, it's like most people will never catch one in their lifetime. I'm not somebody who went out for them specifically. I just went out trying to catch a walleye on the river on a couple of night crawlers. So uh, was doing that, and I hooked into something. And at first I thought I hooked into a log that I might've lifted up off the ground. And then all of a sudden my rod tip just starts like bending deeper and deeper and going the opposite direction of the current. And my entire kayak starts like turning to the left. So I'm like, either this thing is a muskie or either this thing is a sturgeon. So it's like, it was unreal. And I remember in the process of doing this, um, I'm not paying attention. I'm a couple, I'm, I'm maybe almost 200 yards away from shore. I try to call the lady on my, uh, my Apple watch to let her know that I caught a fish. So, but she didn't answer. Then at some point in time, I just remember looking up and I could see the dad, you know, pulling up, uh, the anchor while the kid was still in the water and then just not paying any attention or thinking anything of it. And then, um, a couple minutes go by and I hear the scream and I just like, Typically, when I film my stuff in my kayak, I have the over-the-shoulder shot. But for whatever reason, like that day, I had my chest harness on. Like, I, I don't know why I chose it. I, like, I can't. It was just that feeling. Like, you know, like, um, I've had that feeling before, and I've ignored it. But, like, you know, that day, honestly, I didn't. So, I just I put my chest harness on, and I hear the screen, and I look to my left where I thought, you know, the kid was at. And I look for his dad's boat and don't see it. And then I look to the right and the kid's almost like, you know, 200 yards away from where I had originally saw him at. And he's honestly, he's just bobbing up and down in the water. And that scream, honestly, was probably the most gut-wrenching scream I had ever heard. It was almost like something that was in in a horror movie, you know, like The Conjuring or, or something like that. Because, you, yeah, for him to have, you know, screamed loud enough for it to sound like he was right beside me, my kayak was like, it was still, I don't know, it was still, it was unreal because um, I couldn't imagine how he felt. So I instantly, you know, I bite my line. I powder over there as fast as I can. And, you know, um, it's crazy because uh, for weeks in the gym, I had been like kicking myself about doing the concept to roar because I hated it. I, anybody that follows me on my Instagram account will see me talk about how much I hate getting on the concept to roar, but I love it. I love what it can do for me and what it does for my body and my conditioning. Right. I had this love hate relationship for it. I could just never understand why I was just so drawn and attracted to hitting that machine. And I would always, every day I would row as fast as I can for 500 meters. Like I would have to row as fast as I could. Like if I got on the machine, that's what I was doing. So 
then thinking back to that day, I can go back and time the amount of time that it took me from hearing the scream against that kid. It took me three minutes and 16 seconds because I could row close to 500 meters in almost three minutes. So it's almost like the universe has a way of lining up. You have that, you have that gut feeling to where your chest harness, you've had this desire inside of your need inside of you to do the rowing machine. And my gosh, it lined up for this day. Yeah. And then I get to the kid and, you know, I talk to him. And of course, if you, if anybody saw that video, um, you just hear how it was like just instantly screaming, sheer panic. And the tragic part about it is, you know, um, he's just a kid. Like I, like I, I, I couldn't imagine it, him or any six-year-old kid being in that situation and them not panicking and, and drowning. Right. Like I just, he was utter fear for his life from what it's, you know, it sounded like and what it seemed like, you know, um, it's 55 degrees outside air temperature. So I, I don't believe the water temperature was, was anywhere close to that, especially being with it, you know, running the Lake Superior and stuff like that, which is cold all year. Like the water temps would be lucky if you get into the fifties or sixties some days in the summer, the hottest days of the summer, his face is blue and I'm, I'm talking to him and he's telling me he's cold. So like, I'm thinking, thinking to myself, like how long, before this kid could potentially catch hypothermia or, or his body shuts down because like he's that cold. Cause he's been in the water for a long time. Right. And he was swimming, but he couldn't make it to shore. And honestly, he probably had another 30 to 60 yards before he got around that bend. And he was within eyesight of none of the houses that were in that specific little, little area. Cause then it's just hundreds of yards and miles of the river. Like there's no houses past that point and you can even see it in the video if he had made it out into the the other side of that main current like he's within eyesight of of nobody and nothing and he would have went hypothermic for sure yeah and i don't like you know i i still i still will always like you know people you know would always say that i was a hero i'm like man like you got a six-year-old kid in water in the process of hypothermia he screamed loud enough for somebody to hear him and to help him. He didn't give up. He fought the current for as long as he could until help got there. And I will never forget the words he told me because I had to edit this out of the video. He got onto that dock and he said, I'm happy I survived. And I'm like, a six-year-old kid just looked me in the eyes and told me he's happy he survived. That that's some and, that's some biology. That's visceral. That he thought he was going to die. Yeah, and I've been in you know some scary situations. You know, with my background being in law enforcement, and then uh, working up at uh, one of the, the main hospitals here up in Duluth, Minnesota. You know, I've I've had my fair share of traumatic calls and and you know scary experiences. Like you know, I've had guys pull out knives and stuff like that on me before. Like we've had to go hands-on with with multiple people and, and not having enough officers there at the scene like you know I've, I've been in some some scary incidents but like none of those compared to like being on the water that day and uh, I was kind of you know starting to develop some form of PTSD about it you know with the scream and not being able to process you know that entire event and uh, I had a lot of people that were reaching out to me a lot of people were 
you know, trying to give me things and send me things. My social media is blowing up. And the whole time in my head, I'm just thinking, you know, I'm just thinking about the kid because I just, I couldn't, couldn't get, you know, if he was okay or not outside of my head. And, you know, and, and if law enforcement was following up and doing what they were supposed to do about it. And, uh, I got to imagine you, you had the what ifs in your mind too. What if I hadn't have been there? Uh, you know, yeah. what if, what if I didn't work out on the rowing machine for months on end? But yeah, you know what? It all at all you were you were supposed to be there that day. Yeah. Where where can folks see it? Because this guy's from my hometown. We we didn't know each other until recently. And it's wild that I've seen that I've saw it on, on, on the old TikTok a bunch. And I'm like, wow, that yeah. And what what the overlying comment that I've seen that I agree with on this whole video, folks, you need to look at it to your, yourselves. Everybody needs to search out DJ Jones on Instagram. But the overlying comment and the thing I agree with was the fact that you were to, able to very quickly calm this child down, constant, you know, calm words of affirmation. Because freaking out, listen, I'm a paramedic. I'm a firefighter paramedic. Nothing gets better when you freak out. Nothing yeah, on earth. Stay calm. It fixes every situation. And what I noticed the most out of you, I'm assuming you have a few kids, right? Yeah, yeah, I got two. Okay. You knew how to talk to that child to calm him down. And that's what stuck out of the whole video for me. Was you like, all right, buddy, I can't get you in here. You're going to, you know, we're going to tip the thing. Let's get over here. It's going to be okay. What's your name? Uh, you know, what do you like to do? You started just taking his mind off of things. And to me, that showed great poise. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's almost like what you said, you know, like um, the one thing I've learned in all these incidences that I like that I've been a part of and been supporting others in of, you know, nothing comes good out of panicking, you know, like nothing comes good. And then nothing. like distractions can go a long way. Staying calm can go a long way. It's like your demeanor, like the smallest variables in those situations can make some situations go from terribly bad to terribly good and and also they can go from terribly good to terribly bad depending on you know what happens but you know ultimately you can only control yourself and making sure that you do not make that matter worse because like i've been on call after call where you know things are going good and you get one person to use an adjective that they shouldn't have used or some body language that they shouldn't have you know mm -hmm. exhibited out there and it goes from good to worse in a second especially in the law enforcement community the, yeah. the the officers i mean i love i love all i love cops man me we work hand in hand with them i love all of yep. our cops here but it's the cop that comes in with an attitude or sorry a chip on his shoulder or a false bravado that's the guy that escalates yep. situations and makes them worse yeah. Well, uh, yeah we have we have people all the time we go to for anxiety and they'll be hyperventilating yep. and i'm like listen yep. ma'am sir we're, we're taught to coach on verbal verbal coaching Listen, yep. breathe in your nose, out your mouth. If you don't calm down and slow your breathing down, your body will take over and reset. You'll pass out and you'll wake up fine. So it's your choice. Either yep. you can listen to my words and let me help you or you're going to pass out. Moving on. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Last time we spoke, I didn't know anything about that. So folks, look him up on, uh, go and give him your Instagram handle, bro. Yep. It's uh, D Jones Outdoors spelled as a compound word so even if you type in dj jones or d jones outdoors it should most likely pop up and uh that video has went for i know there's one one uh account my buddy ryan lambert that i just met through this event um the video that he posted on his profile on tiktok is is at 15 million views i know the nwtf 
TikTok posted it and it's at like two million views and it's all over, you know, Facebook with millions of views and, and Instagram. And that's just what I know of. I mean, there's always been other people too that have grabbed it, screenshot and shared it, put their own captions and words up there. But uh, you can go directly to my account at D Jones Outdoors on Instagram to see the the, the full edited nine minute version because in, in real time, the whole incident for me was over 17 minutes long. Yeah, it's it's real. It's the real deal. And you can see you can you can listen to him calm this kid down. You could tell the seriousness in everybody's voice. It was really a good deed you did, brother. Hunting. I know now you're you're smacking some big, big deer up up there, but that wasn't always that way, was it? Where'd you come from when you hunting? Um, so I grew up, you know, hunting Hilliard, Florida. And uh, I know we spoke about I know we spoke about this before, too, but um. It has probably been the roughest transition I've ever had in my entire life when it comes to hunting, because the biggest problem that I had, I've, I've been up here in Minnesota for over a decade. I've only harvested three deer. 2016, I got my first Minnesota buck with a bow on my lease. 2018, I got my first rifle buck ever, like in my lifetime, 2018, 2021. I got my biggest white tail to date and every situation has been extremely different. But the main thing that I felt like it had plagued me for those first, maybe five, six years was I was hunting the Midwest. Like I was still hunting the South. Like I had to forget everything that I had been, I had programmed into me about hunting down South and start from scratch here in the midwest like where we actually have a full four seasons and right can't put bait out and you like so much i had to, to stop myself from doing like you know i wasn't accessing you know stands properly i wasn't playing the wind right properly i was falling in love with nighttime pictures i wasn't able to backtrack a deer you know if he's showing up into that field or into a, a specific set you know 15 to 20 minutes past dark and not understanding maybe all I have to do is go in maybe another 100, 150 yards, you know, east of where that animal is coming from and paying attention to where his butt's coming from in the pictures, you know, because some folks up here believe in, you know, the butts will point to their beds. So you pay attention, you learn all these things along the way. And then sometimes, you know, you can find you know, success, but there's just so much information out there now. Um, I know when I was trying to figure out my niche up here in the Midwest, there weren't things like the hunt public. There weren't, you know, things like uh, the hunting beast and all these other things that you can go off and you can figure out how to hunt the Midwest and how to break down properties and how to use in-season scouting tactics and stuff like that. You know, um, there was just so much I had to learn. And honestly, it kicked my ass because there's guys that have grew up here that have family farms. Like they, they got these rut funnels that they know about and so much that I had to cover that gap within the past couple of years. And I'll, I'll say last year, you know, was just um my best year of hunting that I've had ever. You know, um, I was able to win a free mule deer hunt out to Colorado and I shot a, you know, giant Colorado velvet mule deer with uh, the My World Outdoors crew with uh, Brandon Adams and JC and, and Axel from, from Rack Daddies and Tyler Saunders from Tyler Saunders uh, hunting. And that was a great experience for me. And then to come back to Minnesota and 
and fill all three of my tags, two does, and I shot a, a giant non-typical whitetail and to put a tag or, or a cap on my season last year, that, that was amazing. But now this year, I try I, like like in my mind, I want to have a better year than what I had last year. I feel like I'm I'm I have that much more experience now. I need to relate that to hunting like that. Like that's that's what I need to do. Well, I think you're going about it the right way. I mean, a couple of times we tried to line this podcast up. You say, well, I'm, I'm scouting Wisconsin tomorrow. Uh, I'm scouting South Dakota or North Dakota tomorrow. And it sounds like you're doing your homework and you're doing the right thing. Uh, last season was definitely year of the DJ. My yeah. gosh, you had a rock star season, but I like your attitude. You're like, well, that's, I'm not done yet. I, I'm going to do it again. And that's, that's what a lot of people ha- like need to have. And, and yeah. touching back on, I'll let you continue in a minute, but I'm going to forget touching back on the field edges. What yeah. I'm realizing is folks get addicted to the field edge photos or, you know, yeah. turn the rut, it's different, but preseason people don't realize that that field or that food source is the last place they're going to get to in the evening. And the first yeah. place they're going to leave in the mornings. Yeah. And you're exactly right. Everybody says, if you can kill a deer in Florida, you can kill a deer anywhere. That's probably true when it comes to toughness, like overall physical yeah. toughness and determination. But you've got to be yeah. able to adapt and change your brain. You've got to be able to understand that you cannot hunt Midwest deer like you do Florida deer. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that that was honestly that was my 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 biggest my biggest uh, hurdle that I had to overcome. And another thing that I think was funny too was I only hunted all public land. And up in Minnesota, they got what they called the Orange Army. So I wasn't getting that the hunting is only going to be great all the way up until rifle season. <laughs> yep, that old first weekend or second weekend in November. And I didn't I didn't have a clue about things like hunt stand or base map or on a hunt. Like I the only land that I knew about for hunting was either by permission or either by the one guy who was kind of mentoring me when I got and started hunting in the Minnesota, he was showing me some great public land spots. And, um, that there was, I think was hindering me a bit too, because once I started figuring out and I could actually see where some of these, uh, some of these properties were, for the Minnesota DNR and stuff like that, then that's when I was able to start like trying to figure out where I wanted to go, like and and how I wanted to hunt it. Then after I got you know tired of you know the first four or five seasons of the Orange Army coming out in this rifle season and everybody's coming out and they're beating the bush on public land, which I mean it's not illegal by any means, but the area that I was specifically hunt. You'd have a lot of these rifle hunters, they'd come out, they do their deer drives on public, and then they go back and sit on their private property stands in the evenings. So it's like they basically come out, disturb all the woods on public land, and go back and, you know, jump up in their blinds and stuff, and then hunt on private property in the evenings. And it's like, I had gotten so tired of that. I was like, you know what? I got to get a lease. So started looking on Facebook, started looking on Craigslist, and then I found the lease. And then that led up to me getting a lease not too far from my home. And I shot my first Minnesota buck, November first, twenty sixteen, pre rut, on a field edge. My fourth time, it was either my third or fourth time hunting that property, because I hadn't even had it for a week. Like I, I literally just leased that piece of property late October, 
because I remember at that point in time I was working for AT&T and I wasn't going to start working until that second week in November because I made sure that when I had transitioned between jobs, I gave myself that first week and that first weekend in November to hunt. A man after my own heart. I'd do the same thing. Yeah, and uh, I did that and got my first buck in Minnesota. Then I got another lease because that guy sold that place in the summer of 2017, the month of August. So right before I was getting ready to go back out there and start scouting and stuff again, like I get a phone call. Hey, Dave, I uh, got some bad news. I just sold the property. So you won't be able to, you know, to hunt it this year. Uh, um, I can let you try to talk to the landowner and stuff like that. I, like he told me it's okay. You'd have a conversation with you. And at that point I was like, you know, I asked him like, is this guy a hunter? Is he going to hunt it? He's like, yeah, they seem like they're, they're, they're pretty avid hunters. I'm like, okay, so then I'm not even, I'm not even going to try it. Right. So then, um, fast forward to getting back on public land again, hunting public land in Wisconsin for the first year. Nothing didn't really have a lot of encounters. I, I fell in love with, cause growing up in Florida, let me explain that. So growing up in Florida, I'd be happy if I saw two or three deer in a set. If I saw five deer in a month, I was happy. Right. Like I was, I was happy. I was kidding the candy shop, but absolutely. That's the best day of your hunting season. Right. So, so then once I actually got to the point of hunting these fields and field edges, once I got a few permission pieces and stuff like that, you could sit in the field, see 30, 40 deer a night, but not understanding that I'm only going to see most of these immature deer in the field every night because the mature bucks, they're not going to show up into that field until hour past, you know, dark. They're old for a reason. Dark. Right. You know, they, they don't get old, you know, being stupid and showing up every day like the two-year-olds and the three-year-olds do. Mm -hmm. I promise you that. I mean, and if they do, it's just because they're, they're in a spot where there's not that much hunt pressure. So 2018, I got another lease. Um, it was funny because it was a four, it's, it's a 450 acre lease and I only had four trail cameras and I had two of those on public land in Wisconsin. So I didn't have near enough the cameras to do the scouting that I needed to do. So I had to rely on the landowner and uh, a couple of the neighbors and what they had seen. So I ended up getting, getting in there. I never got a, I got, wait, I take it back. I never got a trail camera picture of the buck I killed in the off season. So that that's a few summers ago. I had met uh, Matt Drury, uh, Brick Brick Stewart from Drury Outdoors. I met Coon Dog and Brandon Jennings and Taylor Drury uh, at Bow Fest up at uh, Superior in Mondalock, Wisconsin, at the Mondalock Resort in Superior, Wisconsin. My apologies. <laughs> and, and Brick gave me his number. Told him if I ever need anything, like hit him up, give him a text, and give him a call. So I'm like, no, I'm a call. Like I, at that point. I hadn't saw any shooters, but I only had two cameras on 450 acres. Like, you know, how dumb of that was for me to think there's no shooters on this property. You know, it's 450 acres. I got two trail cams. And you're getting 40 like, square foot of footage out of yeah. 450 acres. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm not going to see near what I needed to see. So then I ended up actually giving Brick a call. He had me send him some pins on Onyx Hunt and he was like, I would probably try to look around these areas. And I started doing that. And even at that month, the month of August, I started bouncing those cameras around. Nothing. October comes by. And I had the moment where 
DeerCast had been out for a while, and I'm looking at its predictions because I'll never forget this day because this was I shot my second Minnesota buck November 5th, 2018 with my rifles. Uh, it was the third day of the rifle season. I got done on a night shift that Sunday. Didn't go. I, I didn't sleep when I got home. I changed my clothes, went out and checked my trail cameras because the landowner has like you know nine sisters and brothers, so everybody comes out and they spread out and they hunt the property. Mm-hmm. So I already knew that I had people that were going to be hunting my stands. So they knew where I had a couple of my lock-ons at, but I had uh, I bought a Summit Viper Classic that I hid in the hardwoods that I didn't tell anybody about. And then one of the pins that Brick Stewart, you know, had told me that maybe I needed to go check out that area. So I get into that hardwood set. It's November 5th. I checked the camera prior to hunting. And I didn't like I, I like I just transferred the pictures over to my phone. I didn't look at them. I just transferred the pictures over to my phone. So I'm in the tree stand. Starts snowing and then it rains and then it starts snowing again. And all of a sudden it stops because you couldn't hear anything because the ground was so wet. It's this big hardwood set and it's just like the only clearings we got is just the fuller trail and there's a couple of openings here and there, but it's it's thicker than hell. Mm-hmm. I just start seeing tines coming up the fuller trail. And I'm like, wait, what? And look, look like a picket fence walking up the trail. Just about. And um at this point, I didn't I could not tell that he he was the buck that I had a previous encounter with. Because I, I had three encounters with the buck that I shot. Um I called him the Deer Cast Nine because you know, the first time I saw him was after having a deer cast prediction of it's a good day to go hunting. And I couldn't even make it to my set because I was, you know, messing around around town and I get in there and landowner wants to talk to me because he was out of town in Wisconsin. And he's like, before you go in the field, you know, let me check it. And this is during archery season. So this is October 22nd, first encounter. I'm like 50, 60 yards of the trail. So I'm telling myself, oh, there's probably nothing, you know, nothing important in the field. I, I might just run off a couple of little ones like that's it. I kid you not, and I, I have all this on video because I got some of the clips that, that are still up on my profile. I get up to the top of the hill, and bam, that was the first encounter I had with, with the Deer Cast 9. So my landowner had the funniest time recording me zigzagging from hay bale to hay bale <laughs> to get as close as I can to this buck. Determined, buddy. Yeah, and... The funny thing is, if I tell myself if I didn't mess around around town, I make it into my set. Like the pictures, like you can, like, like this to this day, like I killed him, but I wish I would have killed him with my bow. Mm-hmm. That yeah. Joker was not even fifteen yards away from my set. Like, and in the video, you can see the tree that my set was hung in. <laughs> So it's like, oh man, it's like you idiot. If you wouldn't have been running around town, not taking it serious, you could have got in here, gotten your set, and you probably would have been able to shoot this buck on video. So all, and then all I could do then, because this was like the first frost that we got up here, so the deer were moving, and all I could do was watch him. Next encounter I had with him um, was October twenty eighth, six days later. I was driving 
and he was almost on lockdown with a doe in a little section of apple trees on the lease. I was in the razor side by side because I was just going in and out to check trail cameras. And I get to one spot, all I could see was just like this extremely big body because his head was down. So I'm like, what is that? And this, and honestly, this was before I started, you know, carrying binoculars out in the woods. You know, I, I felt extremely silly because I like I hunted in the Midwest without having binoculars and and all of these field edges and stuff like that that I would hunt and having to try to figure out what this deer might be from 200 yards away, 300 yards away. And it was just silly. I'll tell you, I can't hunt without binoculars. I'd rather, I'd rather leave my gun at the truck than my binoculars. <laughs> I feel like yep. they're attached to me. Like they're my third arm. Yep. And then, um, and then that's how, that's how that encounter went. You know, that he popped his head up and I could see that it was him. And then he just, you know, trotted off away with his doe. So then opening weekend comes, you know, landowner and them, they go out, they go hunt. And I go and I check those ladder. I check my, uh, I check my lock-on sets and I, I leave my lock-ons in a way that I could tell that if anybody was in them, cause I always just like, I'll take the foot platform and I'll attach it up to the cable. So that way it'll, it'll be vertical up against the tree. Right. Versus horizontal hanging out. And both my sets had the, like the, the chains and stuff, you know, unlatched and they were hanging out. Okay. Like somebody was sitting in them, mm-hmm. but, but I didn't tell them about the lock on. So I get, I get into the climber. I got maybe 40 minutes left before it gets dark. And here he comes walking up the trail, just, tr- just, just trotting. Then he slows down and he's just walking. He's taking his time. And I'm like, I can't tell what, like, you know, if that's my shooter, because I'm very particular if if I'm going to hold out for something, I want to hold out for the one that I want. But, like, I'm not a dummy. So, like, if it's something that may be bigger than what I like or as close to what I like, what I'm holding out for in that area, you know, I'll try to get an arrow in them or a bullet in them or whatever I got to seal the deal. So, then he comes up, and I shot that buck with my 30-06 at, if you want to guess, I'll let you guess. Gosh. Well, I bought a long range rifle. I bought a Christensen, and I, the farthest I've shot a deer with it's thirty six yards in Missouri. <laughs> so it's got to be yeah. thirty yards. Yeah. So for me, I ended up shooting that buck seventeen yards. Jeez. Oh, and that hurts because you know you could have easily swacked him with a bow. Right. Right. And that will always sit with me. That will always sit with me every time I look at that buck. Because he would have been my biggest archery buck, you know, to date. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that, that you know, it, it is what it is when it comes to that. And then last year, I shot that absolute toe. And now I'm, I'm looking and I'm trying to figure out how can I top that this year? How can I top killing another giant whitetail in Minnesota? But this season, I want this season to, I want to focus more on, out-of-state deer like i i, I want to focus on getting a deer in north dakota or wisconsin like you know or both like if i can do both you know i'm gonna give all glory to god but like if i can just have one to me it's gonna be a stellar season like i've killed you know deer before in minnesota i've uh, officially killed a quote-unquote big one last season so right is that the, is that the buck with the long right main beam that sweeps yeah. out yeah. yeah, yeah, folks, y'all check out his Instagram because that that's a very, very unique and beautiful deer. That is, there's nobody that listens to this show 
that will tell the truth and say they'd let that deer walk. It is a monster. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't isn't North Dakota the one that has the uh the early bow season or is that South Dakota? I want to say for sure it's North Dakota. I've never in, invested any time in South Dakota. Okay. They start like um, September 1 or something. September 2nd this year. Second. Yep. That's cool. That's pretty wild that you can hunt North Dakota earlier than you can the state of Georgia. What? Yeah, Georgia don't open until September 10th. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. I thought it was always it was always mid September. So Yeah. So now all now obviously South Carolina's open right now. But yeah, only. they they open yeah, they open in August. Lucky. I swear. Yeah. If I could hunt August around Florida, I'd kill all my target bucks. Because they they're you can almost set your watch by them here. At least I've noticed on my lease I have down the road here in Hilliard. Yeah. Like right now, middle of August, you can set your watch to them. Yeah. But then when they lose, when they, with about a week after that velvet, they start doing some wonky things. Like they just, our guys just lost our velvet this week. Well, yeah. end of last week. <clears throat> uh, you yeah. used to run dogs, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, folks, he went from being a dog hunter in South Georgia on Hilliard to mm-hmm. going and killing monsters in Minnesota and Wisconsin. That's pretty cool. I have not, I have not got one in Wisconsin. Yet. That has been one of like my Achilles heel. Like Wisconsin has always been a state where, I have, other than last year, because last year I did not scout it as I should have, and that's why my results were what they were when I was trying to, like, you know, fill all my buck tags. Wisconsin has been a state in my area where we've been plagued with wolves and that pressure and a ton of pressure on public land. I've only ever had one permission piece in Wisconsin, but a neighbor kind of screwed that up because – uh. He was he, he, like, I, I usually try not to talk about like the neighbor drama, but I'm, I'm always one of those folks that I feel like, you know, in hunting and in this hunting, you know, quote unquote industry, we need people to, to tell, you know, more stories about how it's not sunshine and rainbows when you have leases and you get permission pieces. Cause like, I feel like we're doing a disservice to some people that, you know, think that it's all peaches and cream once you get a permission piece or once you get a lease. Like, I've had. A bunch of people, you know, kind of hindered me before, but ultimately, like, I've hindered myself more than them, but, like, it's still frustrating because you're trying to, you know, eliminate all the variables that you can so that way you can harvest, you know, an animal, whatever it may be or, or whatever state it may be in. But Wisconsin has been that state for me that I've hunted since 2017 that I have not killed a whitetail in. And I've invested a lot of time. I've invested a lot of money into it. And I, I at this point, I've had nothing to show for it, but Wisconsin and Douglas County, it's uh it's legal to bait. So everybody and their cousin, you know, puts out bait just about. And I like it in a sense that it helps the herd through the winters. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it does. Like it's it's a it's a big difference maker. And winter Honestly, kills a real thing up there, right? Oh man, it's horrible. Um it's it's horrible. Um because you have a lot of these deer that when you have these these rough winters like we get so you know oh so often there's not enough natural forest for them to survive they they just they don't like there's there's just not enough and in those months where like you got the rut and you got stuff like that and these bucks are being ran down really hard those are being pushed and chased really hard and you know they're being pregnant so they need all those they need all the vitamins and minerals that they can so they can produce the best spawn that they can 
and you have people that will go out and they will bait in some in certain counties where it's allowed. And I like that because I, I feel like, you know, it's helping the herd ultimately. You get you get some of these folks from the Department of Natural Resources that want to say that um they kind of wish that we weren't allowed to bait because deer have some um some types I forget what the term was that I had read, you know, from a, a couple biologists that I would love to pick their brains about because um, some somehow in the winters, a deer's metabolism, or it's it's almost like a feeling that I read. I, I can't remember all, of it, but from what I can remember was it was talking about how in these late winter months, feeding can be dangerous to deer because they don't feel full, which means they overeat, their body can't process it, and then they die. So that's why they try to not encourage feeding and baiting in the winter months. Okay, that makes sense. But, you know, I also disagree with that too because when you look at some of the quality deer management and people, example, right? Prime example. Everybody should know this guy that hunts and that follows this podcast. Mark Drury, right? That's right. That's he right. he supplemental feeds and takes care of his deer herd all year round. Like they have farm managers who take care of these deer all year round. They make sure they got enough crops for them in the winter months, and they damn sure make sure they got enough crops for them in the spring. And you look at the quality of deer and deer herds that they have that has been consistently across all the properties that they've either had or that they've managed. And then you want to say that, like, it's bad. How? Yeah. He, like, a, age and nutrition does a lot, but he has also almost like a lab where that's, right. no, that's not pressured or harassed. Right. And, and then and, and that's and that's the thing, too. It's like he still has those other variables, you know, much like us that he has to jump through because he's had neighbors that, you know, that have been, you know unethical at times like you know he he's had trespassers like you know they deal with a lot of stuff they just don't put it out there publicly because it's like you know that's just some some may view that as unprofessional like yeah you know, and it's kind of and it's kind of wasted wasted effort anyway because it's not going to change anything while we're on that yeah. subject to apologize for a moment i'm going to fanboy a little bit uh mm -hmm. mr dj here has met uh taylor drury I and mean, what folks may not know is every year i hunt with uh austin land in texas and he's married to taylor Drury. jury while yep. i have not met her he called her for my cell phone one time so it's kind of the same thing you know yeah <laughs> and austin austin is a run-of-the-mill dude's dude when you're around him you do not feel anything other than this is just my buddy it's wild to think of all the connections he's got in life yep it's um i've only met her once i've only met a lot of the jury guys just that that one time but like we we interact a lot on social media because we don't necessarily see each other i mean they live down in iowa i live down in minnesota or yeah and life's i think busy. life's busy. yeah and and if i do see them it's typically the iowa deer classes which i've been going to for the past two years hopefully going on three so tell us what that's about oh my god man listen you might have to create another podcast if you want me to talk about the Iowa Deer Classic. It's the Mecca. The, is it? Does Michael Jordan still got his hoop earrings in? I'm telling you, listen, if you like <laughs> white tails, you know, of all shapes and sizes, you show up to the Iowa Classic, you're going to find your type. And then just when you thought you saw the biggest buck of your life, you're going you're gonna to take 
another two to three feet and you're going to look up and you're going to see the biggest buck of your life. And you're going to walk another four or five steps and see another biggest buck of your life. Then you're just going to be fangirling at some of these, you know, non-typical giants they got there, typical giants they got there. Um, you have a, a lot of the outdoor personality hosts that are there, you know, some that are, are extremely big and some that, you know, are making their way up in the, in the industry and stuff like that. You got guys like, you know, uh, the Working Class Born Podcast. Those folks are always there. You got outdoor personalities. You got whitetails. You got beer. You got food. You can't help but have a good time if you go. Like, I, honestly, the only thing that's missing is hunting season. That's it. It's the only thing that's missing. And it gets you by until they – when does that normally – that convention normally happen? It's usually the – first or second week in March because it's always usually around my birthday which is March 8th so it's typically within that time frame that's cool we're going to this podcast is going to the NWTF convention in Nashville in February and we are excited because we are hardcore turkey hunters we grew yeah. up deer hunting and have now found the beauty and love that is turkey hunting so we're excited to go up there and a lot of these same people i imagine that go to the iowa deer classic are going to be at, yeah. at the convention because there's nothing else going on that week the third week of, of february so everybody's there you know everybody's excited to get in the in the timber and chase some spring you know some spring thunder oh yeah oh yeah um i, I myself a lot of people think that it's funny <laughs> and i still think it's funny sometimes too that i grew up in florida and I've never turkey hunted in Florida. I don't have any family members that turkey hunt. But I've always had, you know, friends throughout high school and stuff like that that always try to get me to go out and go turkey hunt. But it's like, to me, it's hot. Got a bunch of snakes. Eh, probably not my cup of tea. Now, whitetail, I'm, I'm willing to risk my life for it. Now, having a couple more years of experience in life and in hunting, I might actually risk my life for, you know, a good gobbler down in Florida. But I do know they're hard to kill. Like, you know, you have some of the greatest turkey hunters that have ever walked the earth that will tell you a southeastern turkey can be the toughest, if not the most toughest bird to ever try to kill. I wholeheartedly agree with that. I know there, I know Mark Drury is a fantastic turkey hunter, but I, not disrespecting him, but I promise you, I got two guys that would absolutely smoke him on any property in the United States when it comes to turkey hunting because these. These southern turkeys, you got to approach from a whole different angle. You go out there yelping a lot, they're gone. You yelp more than three times, sometimes they shut up, they're gone. Mark Drury and all these guys, not picking on him, but all these guys that hunt these big farms in Iowa and Nebraska and Oklahoma and Texas, they they hunt birds that aren't pressured. Now, they're very good at calling. Heck, Mark won the uh, Grand National in like 95, I think. He's an outstanding caller, but it's kind of like competition archery versus hunting. Yeah. Competition yeah. calling, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's we'll get back to turkeys later because I'm not gonna let you go on that one. Um, okay, your mule deer trip—that's a pretty cool experience, and you got you won the lottery, figuratively and 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 you know physically. Go over how that went yep. down. Well, um, it's just I will always like tell it this way because I, I I try to I try to explain this to people. Like you know, I'm a guy. I've never won anything my entire life. You know, um, I might have won a couple fist races uh, or, or foot races and a couple fist fights, mm-hmm. but I've never won like anything that re- that resulted in drawing, you know, and I'm at work and 
in the middle of, of, of a hearing at work, my phone's buzzing, buzzing, buzzing. Then, you know, uh, that, that case was over. So I step out into the hallway and I'm checking my messages and I got a message from Brandon Jennings, not Brandon Jennings, but uh, Brandon Adams. And I'm looking, he's like, hey man, you just won uh, the Colorado Mule Deer giveaway. Um, would you be able to confirm that you can uh, lock in the dates and accept, you know, the win? Otherwise, I got to redraw. And I'm like, hold on a second. I go back and I make sure that like it's not a, a spam account or anything like that. Or and I'm looking, I'm, I'm I see the blue check mark and it's saying Brandon Adams. I'm like, wait a second, this is real? Like this, like this, like this is happening? Like I won? You're expecting won like something? Ashton Kutcher to come out of the corner and you're on on punk or something? Yeah, and then I'm just like, you know. Uh, hell yeah, I can accept this. And he's like, can you get off those dates? And I'll explain everything else along the way. So um, then that's when his partners and stuff started sending everything, man. Um, I started getting Twisted Oaks Minerals products. It came rolling down into the house. I got a brand new, uh, ooh, sorry about that. I got a brand new Hoyt bowl that got sent to me. I had some a Cobra release that it got sent to me. I had two Bog Blood Moon Trail cameras that I like. I use and I love them. They're some of my favorite camera systems. And a bunch of My World Outdoors free swag and stuff like that. And um, then that's when like the grind had, had became a little bit more serious that off season. Like you know, I got my. I got my prize package bow and I got my Hoyt bow. Like, like I knew that I was going to be able to, to shoot both bows and I was going to bring both bows regardless. So I'd, I'd have a backup, but you know, I started shooting and I just fell in love with that Benham 33 that I had gotten. And it was an 80 pound bow shooting a little bit faster. So I was like, I think I'm going to, I'm going to use my Benham 33. You pull 80 pounds. Oh yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, I like the way I look at it. I'm, I, I, I have to pull it while I still can because one day I'm gonna be old and gray, and if I gotta drop down ten pounds, I can talk about those days when I used to pull back over eighty. Like that, like that's it. That's the way I see it. So that's right. So I, I got the strength and energy to do it now, so I'm gonna do it. So then, here comes the sketchy part. Like you know, I don't condone meeting strangers on the internet, so I just want to make that very well clear and no. I don't think ever in my life I would have gotten an address from a man that I had never met, drove 16 hours across the country, and then stayed in a hotel room with him. Like, that is something that I thought I was going to end up on the first 48 about. I was going to end up on some kind of <laughs> Netflix series and, you know, you know, uh, lottery hunt gone bad. Like, just, just that type of stuff. But it was actually, it was pretty funny because it was J.C., and I told him, I was like, I don't think I've ever shared a room with a white man before that I've never met. But you know what, JC? You might be all right. I might, I might, <laughs> I might be able to trust you about this. And then he's like, he's laughing and everything like that. Because he's from uh he's from Mississippi, so um another southerner. So we, we got along quite well. I made the 16-hour drive. I slept probably for all the five minutes that day, because I was up well over 24 hours and I was just running on and drilling. And then at that point it, we got out. We were able to, to, to get to Kyle Lopez's property. Uh, he he runs the whole show there uh, at KB Outdoors. We get there, and we see the buck that I shoot and that I kill a couple of days later. We actually you know, record him and record a bunch of other shooters and stuff like that, too. And 
day one of the hunt comes and me and JC flip a coin to see who gets to go into the best spot. And basically, even the number one, I shoot a buck. He was a younger buck. Um, I hit him in, in no man's land high. Uh, we exhausted all efforts to try to, you know, to find him. But it was just it was just a non-fatal hit. And he wasn't even there. I mean, we never found a speck of blood on the ground. Like, that's how high of a hit that it was and how non, non-lethal of a hit that it was. Just and, hit the you, know, hollow, hit, you just hit the hollow zone. Yeah, and Brandon was was hoping and thinking that maybe I would hit a hit an artery that runs along that spine, but I never did. Like it was just, it's just no man's land, and um, I was bummed. I was a little bit upset at myself. Like you know, we were looking at the arrow flight, and it was kind of janky, and we just couldn't. We none of us could figure out how I missed that shot, other than me just being like, guys, like I missed, like I didn't make the shot count. Like mm-hmm. I hit my target, like I I I didn't make it count. Like that's it, point blank period. And then you know we get talking to Kyle and you know Brandon, and it's like we had all agreed that JC would get the next up, you know, at bat because I already had my opportunity and I released an arrow. And um, JC is top notch guy. Like you know, like there's not a lot of people that would have done what I'm getting ready to tell you guys he did for me. So. Brandon seen me a little bit down in the dumps and he tells me that he's going to take me elk hunting the next morning. So we get up, we go elk hunting and I laid eyes on my first ever over 300 inch bull. Like it was, it was insane. Um, he was less than 150 yards away from us. I was able to get him on video and, and record it. And it was just a hell of a hunt, but it was early September. So they weren't really they weren't really, you know, receptive to coming into some of the calling and stuff that we had done. So mm-hmm. then, you know, we get to the gates because I was always up in the passenger seat. We always had either Tyler or Axel with us that was uh, running running the camera, but we mostly had Tyler with us in the back seat. He's a good old boy from Tennessee, hell of a turkey hunter. He's on his way up in the industry too, you know, as a cameraman and as a hunter. Like he's a great guy, great kid, and uh, got a lot of love for that guy. And, um, I hop out of the truck, I get the gate, I get back in the truck and we're getting ready to go. I'm like, Brandon, like, can we go just, you know, check the mule deer property and see if we got anything bedded anywhere? He's like, yeah, sure, we can go do that. And that's when it was game on. We're literally driving down the road, get by the property. And it's it's funny. It's like, have you ever played hide and seek with a two-year-old who's like trying to hide behind the lamppost? And it's like, you know damn well we can see your ass sitting right there. It's like, what are you doing? You're not hiding. Like, no. You yeah. suck at hiding. Too, right? Yeah, it's like deer didn't evolve to hide from human eyes. They evolved to hide from a lion or a bear that doesn't really notice antlers. So keep in mind, like, I, like my mule deer taped down at over 170 plus inches. So tank. this joker, I kid you not, we're driving past. All you can see, grass, brush, you know, falling down cottonwood you know, tumbleweed, antlers. And it's like, oh, God, Brandon, shoot a buck right there. He's like, where? And he slows down. I'm like, dude, we got to spin the block. Like, we got to spin the block real quick. And Tyler's like, wait, 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 where? And I'm like, right over there. He's like, oh, my God, yeah, that is a shooter. He's like, that, he's like that's a shooter. Like, that, that's definitely a shooter. And he's like, um, I'm like, Brandon, can we get on him? He's like, well, we got to call J. Like, we got to get up to the house and see what JC wants to do. But if JC doesn't want to go after him, like, we can go get after him, buddy. I promise you. So 
we get up to the house and we talk to JC and JC's like, no, go kill him. Cause he had his, he had his heart set on a different buck. So he's like, no, go kill him. And then Axel's like, can I come film? Cause like, if it's going to go down, like I want to film. Mm-hmm. We're he, like, okay. So he can see the tension in the air. He knows what's about to happen. So, um, then, you know, I get out, I shoot my bow, make sure everything was on. And, uh, it was just, that was still like, you know, mentally getting prepared to go in and shoot. We drive by, we stop, we get parked, we set up a plan, you know, on Onyx Hunt. We get to our mark, which, by the way, um, I will not say doing a spot and stalk in Colorado environments in some areas, you know, is for the week. Um, I was crawling over the top of dead cactus, broken glass from highway accidents or people throwing beer bottles out on the side of the road, mm-hmm. um, making, making it extremely difficult. Um, basically bear crawling over 200 plus yards with my bow on my back on my knuckles trying to keep my release out of the dirt and from the place where we jumped the fence to the cottonwood tree was 224 yards like I still had those pins marked from my onyx hunt application so shoulders were on fire crawling there I'm trying to make sure that my bow is not getting caught up in some of the brush and stuff. And um, I'm just happy I had Brandon with me because his experience came in really, really, really clutch because uh, we're by the highway. So once we got under a hundred yards from that, uh, that mule deer, Brandon looks back and he whispers to me, he goes, Hey, like we're under a hundred yards. So we won't crawl until cars start passing by to cover up our noise so we can get close. That's right, some cover was, noise. So I'm like, shit, why didn't I think of that? I'm like, oh, in the moment, like, I'm like, shit, why didn't I think of that? But I'm like, okay, yep, yep, let's go. Let's do it. It's like, okay. And Brandon's a bit taller than me, so he can cover ground crawling a little bit faster than me. So we finally get up to this big cottonwood tree, and I tell Brandon, like, if he swings to the left, I'm like, I'll be able to shoot. If he swings right, I'll be able to shoot. And he goes, okay, yep, so just knock your arrow and just, like, just be ready. So I range from where we're at to the the bush where the buck is at. It's a 44-yard shot at this time. So the buck sees us in the process of, like, like talking, hiding behind this big cottonwood tree. And I kid you not, like, this cottonwood tree was was wider than a triple-wide trailer, wider than Respucia, wider than the (laughs) – Wider than the World Wide Web. Like, I'm not lying to you. Like, I, I'm you. I, like, like, I'm not lying to you. You see her? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Norbit. So, uh, so then we caught this on picture. Brandon took a screenshot, and it was perfect. Like, the book was looking dead at us, but he couldn't see us because the brush was covering up his eyes. So he could see and hear that something was over there, but he didn't know what we were. So he wasn't really spooked, so. At that point, we thought there was only one buck. There was three, including the buck that I, I later eventually shoot. So the buck comes out, and he starts walking away, and I stand up, and I draw back, and he's walking away. So I'm like, shit. We did all that work for nothing. That's what I'm thinking to myself in my head. And Brandon, you know, I love him. Like, like I wouldn't have killed this buck without him doing these things right here. He ends up pulling one of these sounds, and and I can tell you, he starts going like, mm-hmm. he did one of those. 
that buck stops dead in his tracks. He uh, takes that slight left look over his, his left shoulder, and he sees me. And I think, oh, he's going to bolt now. Like, now he's going to bolt. So while he's in the process of doing this, like, I didn't even realize I did it. I had tried guessing where I thought that distance that buck was at. And I turned my HHA single pin Tetra from 44 yards to 56. Because that's what I, I was guessing that buck to be at. Right. That buck then turns completely broadside. Completely broadside. I'm like, oh, yeah. And then, like, you know, if I can settle this pin, I'm going to send it for the win. And that's what I tell myself all the time. Settle the pin, send it for the win. And, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I tell myself that all the time. And from my angle, the only place that I could place that shot was going to be either back of the lungs near liver. Because there was brush that from, from my angle, I can see it. But from the camera's angle, you can barely see it. So I shoot. The buck drops well over a foot. You can see it in the video, even in slow-mo. I originally, instantly, I thought I missed because I could not see if that, that arrow hit the buck. So, I, I like, I literally just, like, out of reaction, I'm like, oh, I missed him because I couldn't see that I hit him because they dropped and ducked under the, bu- under the brush. So I, I couldn't see it. A lot could happen. You're right. Yeah, so... I just like instantly, oh, missed him. Brandon's like, you did? I'm like, yeah, I think I shot under. This joker replays the footage. He goes, DJ, you hit that buck in the liver. Like, I'm like, for real? He's like, yeah. I'm like, let me see. And he, and he shows it to me. And all you can see was just that arrow going over the buck ducking, and it hits him dead center in the liver. And he ends up taken off about 80 yards to the neighbor's property. And all we knew was Axel was going nuts in the other truck because they're like, DJ must have shot that buck because they're hauling ass. Like, they're hauling ass. <laughs> like, and you can, they didn't put this on the episode, but like, we could hear it in the footage. Like, you know, oh, they must have hit that buck because he's hauling ass. <laughs> so, then we tell them that it was a it was a it was a liver shot, so we got to give them time. So then they drive down the road to go see, and again, got a big hundred and seventy inch plus mule deer who's just sitting there. All you can see is freaking tines, and the two younger bucks that were with him are standing up while he's betting. So we had uh, this landowner, who by the way, Kyle owns the entire piece of the property, but in his piece of property that he owns, there's a guy, there's a there's a a, a tenant or a renter, if you will, who lives on, I want to say it's either an acre or a half acre within the hunt property. And this guy is an anti-hunter. And of course, he, that's where your deer goes, right? Well, he was on our property the entire time. He was just near his fence. But this was the thing that, you know, that, that I knew this guy had, had, you know, some form of mental health issues, either diagnosed or undiagnosed, which is very common. Right. He sees us scouting as we're going through the check trail cameras. You know, this is prior to the season open. He gives Brandon his phone number. He tells him, you know, like, if you guys shoot anything, then it runs into my property. It runs on the property. Just give me a call and let me know. I'll be happy to, you know, walk with you guys to watch you retrieve him. And, yeah, just, just let me know. Real nice at that point in time. And Brandon calls this guy. 
and tells him I shot a buck and it's just bedded near his property. It's probably going to die soon. So if you see us by the property, you know, that like that's why. But the buck is still on our property. And he's like, oh, okay. And then, you know, he starts yelling and asking us, who the F do we think we are? Why are we shooting effing deer? He should effing shoot us like the animals were out there trying to hunt and kill. Mm. Who the F do we think we are? Like, like why in the F are we hunting there? And it's like, out of all the cell phones and cameras we had, nobody caught it on camera. He's definitely bipolar, though. Well, it was just like, flip switch. Like, he, he was totally cool with us going, doing all this a couple of days ago. So, and it got so bad to the point where we had wanted to call Kyle. So we called Kyle and let him know. And he was just like, nope, don't go by the house. We don't know like what he's, what he has, what he's capable of. But I, you know, I wasn't scared of him. It's like, you know, um, cause I was more than willing, you know, to either tell him about God or set him up with the appointment to meet him at that point. Mm-hmm. We had just be bold. Cause, cause, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't like, we're, we're not, too acceptive of one disrespect and then you're going to disrespect us about something that we love and something that we're passionate about it's and just, you've it's, done nothing wrong right and it's just and it's and, and it's not it's just a bad recipe for for some folks who who may not be you know accustomed or informed of southern culture so don't disrespect southerners you know in general if you can because we're always ready like ready and willing to take it there if we must you know that's right we'll, all, we'll defend we will, our honor that's for sure right and um so instantly i'm fuming because i'm like this guy legit just gave us his phone number told us if anything like this were to happen call him he'll let us go do blah 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 so brandon wants to you know like he, like you know he's a great guy he, he's not confrontational but he was just like well let's just call the dnr so we called the dnr and while we're wearing route with the Minnesota DNR, all of a sudden, two younger bucks that were with my buck, where he was bedded, they take off across the field. My buck didn't get up and do anything. Like, he was just still laying there. So we're trying to figure out why. And then we look another 50, 60 yards to the right. This guy is now out walking, looking for my buck on our property. So he's trespassing. Mm-hmm. Looking for my buck. He then jumped my buck up, and my buck might he might have went another 15 or 20 yards into some thicker brush and bedded up. So the entire time this guy's walking up and down, he's sending Brandon these nasty text messages asking him where's the effing deer? I don't see any effing deer, there's no effing blood, blah 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 blah. And all of a sudden, then um we start watching the antlers from where he was sitting up at. Like the tines tip over. Boy's hurt. Then he starts. Oh, he, he yeah, he, yeah, he was dying. He was that. We watched him die. Like he, we watched the antlers go from sitting upright to tipping over. And then the bushes started thrashing. Mm-hmm. Like, because he, he was kicking. Well, I bet your spirit went through the roof. It, oh, man, listen. Like, like that feeling right there. Cause I, like, I haven't had the pleasure of watching any of my animals die mostly throughout my life. Like, typically with bow hunting, you don't have that opportunity. Like, you don't – I'm hunting in hardwood sets, so they'll run 100 yards or wherever it, whatever the distance is, and you'll hear them crash, but you typically don't watch them fall over in, in hardwood environments. Yeah, it's always a mystery. 
So to watch him die and him to be my first ever Colorado Velvet Whitetail or first ever, well, Mule Deer, to watch him die was something that was like, to me, that was the greatest hunt moment I'd ever had until I took my daughter hunting last year. So watching that was like, was, was, was life changing. And the whole entire time while, while we're doing all this side note for some of the folks at home, I wish they would have put this in the episode. There is a for sure over 190 plus inch mule deer that is bedded in a little strip of grass between the anti-hunter, my dead buck and us. And I was, I was, I was pleading with JC. I'm saying, JC, I will, I have my bow tools right here. I will tune down my bow to 70 pounds. You can take this and shoot this bucket less than 30 yards. It, it was, it was perfect. Wind, perfect was our, wind was still in our favor. All JC had to do was walk to the backside of this brush swing a little bit wide on the corner and the buck was was bedded facing us so he's already broadside he could have literally shot at almost a 200 inch mule deer while he was in his bed but while he was in his bed so i'm pleading with him and this speaks more on jc's character he goes you know what dj i got plenty of time to hunt right now we either gonna whoop some ass in a few minutes or we're gonna recover your mule deer so i got plenty of time to hunt, but i want to make sure you get that mule deer so Real time, it's been like 40 minutes, 40 minutes plus. And now we're worrying about the meat starting to spoil because it's starting to get get a little bit hot. It's about 80, 90 degrees or whatever. And DNR officer comes and he meets with the landowner or the, the renter. Then he comes down to us and me and Brandon are in one truck. And you get, me, Brandon, are in one truck. Then we got Tyler and Axel and JC in the F-250. So... DNR officer comes up and he goes, uh, where's the buck at? And we're like, right over there, dead. He's like, on your property? I'm like, yep. Here's what we're gonna do. Um, who's the hunter? He's like, I was like, me. And he's like, okay, well, I'll bring you to go get the buck. So the DNR officer had said uh he was just gonna take me. And I was like, Well, honestly, sir, no disrespect. We haven't done anything wrong. Like, you know, this is what they do for a living. This is my first ever time and experience hunting out west. We shot a great mule deer, and I just refuse to to let somebody like this guy ruin this moment. Like we've worked too hard. The animals on our property. We don't need your permission to go retrieve a buck that's on our property. Like we don't. And he looks at he looks at me and he starts like you know, clenching his jaws a little bit and he starts like you know tapping his hands. You know, like the whole trooper tap is what is what uh. Some folks like to call it where they're tapping on the side of the vehicle because they're thinking about something. And he's just looking at me. And he turns his head to the side, looks at the truck. I'm like, okay. Then he goes, okay. All right. You, everybody can come. But don't film the house and don't film me. Okay. No problem with that. So then we drive up there. We go get the buck and... uh videotape all that and we get our, our photos and our pictures done and then um that was that was that for that and then uh, we all we we've all been in contact since then and um we're trying to get together eventually again either this off season or at some point during the season where they're going to be in camp somewhere where i can try to buy a tag go out and hunt with them again so that's an amazing story man 
That's yeah. You and and people don't realize. I tell people mule deer just hit different. Big mule deer, it's they're addicting. They just hit yeah. a little different. Yeah, they do. I mean, honestly, um, I thought the, I thought my city buck that I killed last year was heavy, but I tell you what, like when I put my hands on that joker from out west last year, mm. yeah, I'm the, a guy who can bench press. 355 pounds guys like i like i'm somebody who routinely works out three to five days a week and when i put my hands on that white tip on, on that mule deer and i couldn't bolt him by myself yeah <laughs> i knew i was like okay shit just got like shit just got real i've been out like, to idaho i've been out to idaho many years and i shot a lot of yearlings and two-year-olds you know you're on public land on a general tag unit you take what buck you can get because they're just oh. not like hunting where you hunted but oh yeah yeah three years well come on three years ago i shot my first big mature what i call big he wasn't no 170 but i shot my first mature buck I, he was five or six year old and when we got to yes. him i've killed some 280 pound deer in illinois and when i got to yeah. this deer it was un real how big the body was i had no idea at all how big they are yeah yeah they get uh they get pretty dang big and i like to say i know why they call them mule deer it's not because their ears it's because of that big old pot belly they got like when a big old mature mule deer he's standing broadside his belly hangs down like old old donkey Oh yeah, that's that's how the one was, you know, that I had shot. Because Brandon was saying that he believed the one that I shot was the most mature one out of all the mule deer that we had saw, and we saw we saw a pretty good amount. I mean, uh, Kyle's place in Salida is just on the outskirts of the city limits. So, other than us going in there that year, I mean, there's another outfitter that's across the road that they see the same deer that we see too. Mm-hmm they don't really get a lot of pressure. So we were the only people that mule deer hunted that place the entire year. So those mule deer only got hunted on that piece of property in the month of September for That's a week. Awesome. That's well, I'm glad it worked out for you, man. You, you mentioned yeah. your HHA site. Once you go over your bow set up top to bottom and also uh, where you get your bow work done, cause it's not local to you, is it? Oh no, uh, uh, no, 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 no. Uh, see uh, for me, folks, my 2021 hunt setup I had, I had a Hoyt, venom 33 custom um i had the buckskin color it had uh 80 pound limbs because if, if i know i said it before i'm gonna try to pull back as much as i can while i can because i know one day i'm gonna get old and gray and you know mm-hmm. when that day comes i won't be able to do it i want to be able to look back and think back to when i could so um that was what i had for as far as my specific bow i had my vapor trail Pro VX drop away rest. Um, I had my custom Vapor Trail VTX strings that were custom and HHA single pin optimized the Tetra site goes from zero to 150 yards, but you can always get more than that just depending on how you hold the bolt, you know, yeah, at an Lord. angle. Yeah. So um, that was my setup that I got from the bull rack, which is out in Oregon. So it's a very, very, very popular, you know, shop. Uh, in my opinion, it's the best damn bull shop in the land, just based off of the experience from the people that they got working there, mm-hmm. their qualities, what they believe in, how they're active in their communities for hunters and in legislation for hunters. And Mr. Wayne, Lisa, all those guys, Kellen, all those, you know, bow fanatics that are there, like, you know, they will not let your bow leave their shop if they don't believe it's at its best 100 percent. 
don't matter if you think your bowl's crap because you got it from this place or it's this brand or that brand. They do not care. They want to make sure that you go out into the woods or out to shoot your competitive archery equipment, that you have the best product that's available to you. Like, you know, your bow is at its best. They will not let it leave the shop without it being at its best. So do you do you send your bow in and you tell them your draw length and they, they basically rig it up for you? Yeah, and, and pretty much put it like this. My relationship with Mr. Wayne is so good. This joker will watch me on on my videos, right? He'll watch me put up like a shooting video or put something on a story on Instagram. He, hey, Deej, I saw your video the other day. You need to pick up that right elbow about, you know, two <laughs> two or three more inches, okay? That's a good friend. Right. This is stuff like I'm getting coaching from somebody who's not even there in person. He's on the other side of the damn country. And he just sends me a take off a video that he saw, and then I started doing it. I'm like, holy shit. That's hey, a man. DJ. That's a man that shot a lot of bows in his life. Shot a shot a lot of arrows. Listen, he 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 is somebody that if he were to open his mouth and brag, he could go all day long. But he doesn't. He's so humble. He's a Christian father. You know, runs the runs the bull rack. Great guy. Got a lot of love. You know, he he reached out to me back in two thousand two thousand and eighteen. He sold me my Hoyt R RX three, and then after that, my Venom. 33 that I, I had and now I hadn't made this known yet but my RX-7 Ultra they're working on it right now to get it to me so nice. it, just came in, it just came in from Hoyt so I'm getting that puppy rigged back up and they're going to send it back to me so hopefully I can get some arrows and some shots and get comfortable with it before I head out to, to North Dakota so I got to kind of shoot it religiously once I get it. What kind of arrows are you shooting? Oh I shoot those uh, Easton FMJ five millimeter micro diameter oh really arrows, pro series yeah okay that's cool i, I didn't i didn't expect that and um, then i shoot uh i shoot muzzy broadhead so those muzzy uh three blades 100 grain so you shoot, my a, entire, you shoot a fixed blade yeah i had to mm -hmm. i had to um i had shot wait i'm trying to I'm trying to make sure my math is going to be correct. My arrow weight, you can have a lot of these guys like Ranch Ferry who try to tell you that you got to shoot like 500 grains, 600 grains with a, a fixed head or a single bevel, et cetera, mm -hmm. that you got to shoot that in order to be successful with your bow. But uh, I hear that too, and I don't shoot a very heavy arrow, and I've never had a problem with penetration on anything I've shot. Now, shot placement's different than penetration. I've never had an issue where, like, man, I wish I had a heavier error or if I wish I had a higher draw weight. You know, my, it just works. Yeah. Um, and I'll, 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 I'll tell you this, and you can even go back at the pictures. I know some, some people like that, you know, they want proof nowadays. Some folks don't take people for their word, which, you yeah. know, I get it. You, you get a lot of people that want to lie. And, talk about things they don't know what they're talking about my my Hoyt bow my Venom 33 shot over 305 feet per second I shot that Colorado Velvet Mule Deer at a confirmed 60 yards yes it was a liver shot blew right through him at 60 yards right got back in Minnesota I shot my first doe at 14 yards it blew through her front shoulder through the lungs, buried in the dirt. Next deer I shot, 
quartering away shot. It went through one lung and went out through the backside of the ribs and broke a rib so much to the point where the rib was sticking out of the body. Then my city buck, I shot and it went it went through. It had nicked his his uh his front left shoulder and went completely through to the other side. Full penetration. Mm-hmm. And that's it that's at 440 grains. But I'm also shooting 300 feet per second. So some folks want to holler about, you know, you gotta have uh you gotta have a heavy weight and everything like that. But what I like to tell people too, some people may not like this, but I'm gonna say it because it needs to be said. Because I feel like this is something that I've, I've heard some people say, but you know, it needs to be said a little bit more. But I am confident in what I shot and what I've seen last year, and I, I have shot some very big game animals, well over 250 plus pounds, whitetail buck last year. Well over 240, 250, maybe even 260 plus pound mule deer last year. And here's what I will always stress till the end of time. Our beautiful American indigenous people, culture, hunted the same big game animals that we hunt today. Mm-hmm. They killed them with sharp rocks and sticks. So why the hell in 2022 or any date and time past the 2000s are you going to have an excuse about your equipment failing you? When people hunted the same big game that we have with lesser equipment and still killed them. If we could get more people to to quit worrying about arrow weight and, and all this extra stuff, and focus on shot placement, shot placement, shot placement, shot placement. That's right. You hit that animal in its vitals, it's going to die. It's not, no animal, no human's vitals is made to be punctured, to be shot through. It's not made for that. That's why we have things like shoulders that protect the lungs, rib cages that protect our lungs, things that protect our heart, anatomy, like, you know, anatomy. Like, right. Look it up. Like, like this is stuff where, like, I hate when I see people to say, "Oh, if I was shooting this broadhead, I would have killed him." It's like, no. If you'd actually got your goddamn reps in, <laughs> if you'd have put your practice about, in and you'd have done your job. And I'm somebody who last year I hit a buck in, in, in no man's land, and I could not blame anybody but myself. But I still shot my bow religiously months prior to that. Yep. So Bo it's hunting. like. Bow hunting can be heartbreaking, but you just got to do your part and hope it works out. Yeah. And uh, th- like that's that's what I always try to emphasize to people. Well, DJ, buddy, I appreciate your time with me. It yep. has, again, been awesome. Thank you so much for everything you're doing, for saving a little kid. You're going big places. And and one day when, when you're huge, even more than you are now, you can remember our conversation from the woods. Yep. All you got to do is just hit me up. All right, man. I hope to see you around at some of these conventions. Maybe you make it down to the Turkey Convention in uh, Nashville in February. If you are, we're going to meet up and, and, and share some some cold beverages. Oh, yep. yep. Uh, I'm not a fan or, or I'm not a stranger to some whiskey in a bar. I promise you that. That's right, buddy. Well, thank you so much. Have yourself a good day. Good luck scouting in North Dakota. Send me some pictures, buddy. Oh, yeah. I got you. All right, man. Have a good day. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. 
All right, folks, thanks for tuning in. Y'all stay with us. This train's going to keep on rolling. I promise you we're going to have some great episodes, some great guests. You're going to learn some stuff, and so are we. Thanks again.